This is Pod TST. I'm Kenneth Arthur, the host of this audio show. And with me this week to talk about the Rams is Jordan Rodrigue of The Athletic. Uh, she's been covering the Rams this season. Uh, Jordan, this is um, your first year covering the Rams after covering the Carolina Panthers previous to that. And can you just tell me how that experience has been? I mean, obviously we have extenuating circumstances in 2020 all around. Everybody gets extenuating circumstances uh, in the world. So um, that's been one aspect to the transition. But um, in terms of the Rams, what differences have you noticed uh, or what is what has really hit you with regards to Sean McVay and the organization so far? That's a great question, Kenneth. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Super excited uh, to be on Turf Show Times. Um, I was telling you, I know via, I think it was Twitter, that I have been reading Turf Show Times for a really long time. Uh, as a West Coaster, I would always try to, even when I moved East, I always tried to catch up on everything that was happening in the NFC West. Mm -hmm. And also, obviously, with some sister blogs that you guys have, uh, you know, with the Pac-12 and everything, I always was like trying to catch up on everything. So this is great. This is so fun for me to be able to be on with you today because um, I've been reading you guys forever and I think you guys do a great job. So and it's important. Yeah, I, I better. Uh, I also want to shout out uh, then Joe McAtee, the general. Uh, he was the managing editor prior to me for some of those years uh, prior to this. So for anyone out there listening, which could include Joe, uh, I, I'll transfer some of that to uh, <laughs> praise to, to Joe just to make sure that it's all uh, copacetic. But uh, continue. I love it. Yeah, um, it's a great question. So when I came over and started covering the Rams. So I, I had known that I would be shifting over for, for quite a while before I made the announcement and before I started the move. Part of that, as you mentioned, is um, you know a global pandemic and I don't recommend to anybody out there listening, moving across the country during a global pandemic, that was not a fun experience. But yeah. once, once I got here, so you know, I'd been doing a lot of studying on the Rams ever since pretty much right before the NFL Combine got a chance to meet with some of the staff at the combine just to get a feel for for the people themselves that I would be covering and you know I had covered Sean I, I covered the Super Bowl a couple of years back um, it, it did a big feature on Todd Gurley and all of that so I had experience I had experience with Sean before but it's it's nothing like putting you know feet on the ground ten toes down and actually really getting a feel for the organization in yeah. full which over the last several weeks have been able to do since they opened training camp. And I just have to say, like, I can confidently say this is one of the more progressive organizations in the NFL, just in terms of football first, you know, mm -hmm. let's talk football first, where it's, it's the, the types of innovations that they're doing, the, the people that they're trying to bring in and build certain pipelines in terms of their staff. I'm not talking about offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, because we all know, you know, Sean McVay, it's like anyone who breathes his oxygen is going to go get hired for a head coaching job. Uh -huh. But, but it's, it, it's really like all of the assistants and the, um, the training staff and just the, the innovation that they apply to their everyday operation and the way that they all are so vibey with each other. It, it, it's really like a big family and everybody is, on the same page and it's like there's healthy conflict at times when they're troubleshooting a problem and then there's competitiveness but it's all really respectful 
And then from a behind the scenes organizational standpoint, I could not be more impressed with how they run the show behind the scenes, not just the programming that they have to include minority and female candidates for different positions um, throughout, the, throughout the staff, but also a lot of the, the things that they do, you know, marrying data and analytics into everyday operations, having a football staff that really buys into certain analytical studies that they present, having uh, an entire scouting team that very much marries the analytics with the actual, what we call gut feeling of things and, mm -hmm. and football mindset and having a, a really respectful balance between every single group. It's, it's like really, it's been very pleasant to cover. I got to say, I mean, I'm coming yeah. from a place I'm coming from a place where I, you know, Ron Rivera is one of the people that I respect the most on the planet and his staff was, was fantastic. Ironically, most up in Buffalo now <laughs> and many more in Washington with yeah. Ron at this point. But, um, but, and, and he was just, a, it has been just a great mentor to me, but a lot of what I covered from the Panthers over the last four years was chaos in terms of uh, an ownership scandal, a team sale, the head coach having to hold everything together all by himself because there's no team president, no CMO, no, none of the positions that you take for granted sort of in terms of what is normal in, in the Rams front office, CMO, COO, marketing, um, you know, president, GM, assistant GM, cap guy, all of these things did not exist <laughs> in Carolina mm -hmm. because they were set in such dark ages in terms of from the way that the previous owner was sort of running the show and trying to save all the money he could, et cetera, et cetera, which I could rant about forever. But anyway, so there's a, a team <laughs> scandal. There's a team scandal and, you know, uh, an ownership scandal and a team sale. Then you're covering the business side and the process of bringing in new ownership for a whole year, then you're covering, he's just cleaning house on the business side for another year. And then a, a year after that, he starts cleaning house on the football side. Meanwhile, the superstar franchise quarterback is hurt. Um, they start offloading all of these veteran players who helped get them to the Super Bowl, sometimes in very non-glamorous ways, which was really upsetting to the fan base. You know, it was constant chaos. So coming here, mm -hmm. um, you know, or from an organizational standpoint, covering an organization that I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but has it Go shit together. It. <laughs> they very, this, this organization very much has it shit together. And I know that there's been a lot of change, you know, follow, you know, 2016 and beyond, there's been a ton of change and there's still obviously going to be wrinkles mm -hmm. everywhere you go. But um, it, it's, it's very notable, the difference coming from a, an organization very much trying to bridge the gap of being stuck in, in the deep past of what football was. Mm -hmm. And then here it's an incredibly progressive culture and a very cohesive environment. So that, I, I know that's a long answer to your question, but it's, it's really, really fascinating for me to follow. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, so much of a, an organization, it starts with ownership, it starts up top and everything trickles down from there and, and whether or not that includes um, maybe growth just by uh, the person who is the owner or the ownership group or uh, just getting a, a lucky strike sometimes with coaches or general managers, which happens as well. You know, obviously the Rams are an organization that suffered almost two decades of a dark period 
and then moving to Los Angeles seemed to wake them up and spark uh, this initiative uh, to make that change over from Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay. And, uh, you know, there are parallels there, as you said, with unloading popular players after a Super Super Bowl, which happened to the Rams this year with Todd Gurley, Brandon Cooks, Dante Fowler, um, who was, yeah, he was on the Super Bowl team there at the end there, uh, and Corey Littleton. So uh, this is a team that is still in transition, and that includes on defense. Um, You know, some people might read The Athletic and say, uh, I, I'm reading about the Rams and Jordan is full of good information, but the Rams have a Jordan Fuller themselves. Uh, and that's the safety, <laughs> uh, Jordan Fuller, your namesake. Um, unfortunately, uh, what can, well, what can you tell me about Jordan Fuller's current injury status? Uh, if, if Sean McVay has unveiled anything and with or without Jordan Fuller, um, why haven't we heard anything on Terrell Burgess, especially given that Taylor Rapp maybe didn't have the best game on Sunday? Yeah, it's a good question. So Jordan Fuller, uh, he, he tweaked his shoulder, and so he's day-to-day. He will, he will, I would assume, without a doubt, play on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And they're going to probably hold him out of practice at some point this week just to give him a little extra rest. But the reason why I think they held him out through most of of the game after he got hurt was because they were having such an issue tackling on the second level. And so a lot of tackling was left to the third level. And if a guy has hurt his shoulder, you don't want to put him in harm's way by Mm. having him sort of be the cleanup crew on some of those missed tackles in the second level. And so I think that was a a big reason. I don't really have a doubt that he could have come back in um, and played. It's just that you, you would have really been taking a huge risk seeing how your second level, meaning your linebackers, um, were, were not really getting the job done in terms of tackling. So I think that's, that's pretty much why he was still out on Sunday. Um, Terrell Burgess is like really just a really bright young talent. And he's on a different development path than Jordan Fuller. Jordan Fuller is a guy who really has just blown the coaching staff away, but he wasn't a secret to them. He Mm -hmm. was someone who they had a really, you know, a really high grade on in the draft who, you know, ran slow at the combine and then was unable to have a pro day because of COVID. Um, And that really kind of sank him. Plus the, the safety position is not considered quote unquote to be high value in certain ways. Um, yeah. And that, that will probably change now with some of the contracts that you're seeing, especially David Mulgetta getting some of these contracts done in the next couple of years, you'll probably see that shift. But right now there's not a, a super high priority for, you know, safeties, especially in a, in a pretty loaded draft. And um, so he fell to them just, they could not believe their good fortune that he fell to them when he did, because they had, they, they, their staff did a lot of work on him and they had a pretty high draft grade on him. So um, he was on a different trajectory. Terrell Burgess, they also really, really liked, but Terrell Burgess was always going to come in and be a guy who was going to have a year where he's playing in situationally. He's coming in when he's needed. He's ready to step up if he has to, but if they don't need him to, it's much better to be able to let a guy develop and, and grow into his NFL body, into an NFL system. So if they don't absolutely crucially need him in an emergency situation, you're probably not going to see as much of him. Um, I think he's got a bright future with the organization. 
I think there's going to be a point in time where you see Terrell Burgess and Jordan Fuller playing on the field next to each other, um, especially if they don't know if they if they can't get John Johnson extended. Mm-hmm. So that's that's going to be something very much you. you when you talk about Jordan Fuller, you're drafting for the present and the future. When you talk about Terrell Burgess, you have drafted for the future. For yeah. Sure. And uh, while we're on the topic of third round Terrells, do you think we'll see Lewis in the next couple of games? Next couple? Sure, I think. But definitely not this week. Um, you know, there's just there's a lot of things that they need to get cleaned up with their pass rush. But putting a guy on the field who is going to need to get some, some practice reps under mm-hmm. his belt because of the knee, because he missed so much of training camp because he had COVID, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a guy, they're just being extra careful with him. Again, he's a part of their long-term plans if he can stay healthy. And so they're, they're really going to be careful with him, but you know, they expect to certainly get him back within the next couple of weeks. Um, at minimum, he could have left the NFI list this week, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. If he does get practice activation, I don't think he would get game activation just because with, with an issue like that, you just, you know, it was in their words, an unprecedented situation as they were worried about a previous surgery suddenly getting infected within his knee. So, they, you know, they're outsourcing to all of these specialists to try to figure out what the heck's actually going on. So at this point, they're like, okay, we're just going to be really careful <laughs> because, um, you know, we, we don't want anything to catch us by surprise. And we're going to just kind of take it day by day, week by week with him. Yeah. Okay. Um, that seems like a thing that was expected, maybe a little bit of Terrell Lewis at the time of his draft, why he was available in the third round as, as knew that they were going to be without him at times, potentially because of injuries. Um, and I think everybody would like to see that because the Rams pass rush is non-existent outside of Aaron Donald. Um, but Against the Buffalo Bills this week, Aaron Donald had the biggest play of the game for anyone, uh, maybe at all, just in terms of the impact that his sack strip fumble came against Josh Allen, uh, turned the corner for the Rams, gave them the opportunity to take the lead after falling behind 28-3, to um, like the Super Bowl, two Super Bowls before they went, uh, and they came back and took a 32-28 lead. Aaron Donald is a good player and the (laughs) uh, Rams, they unfortunately did not win losing 35, 32. You talked about the relationship that you have, uh, or at least the uh, knowledge and relationships that you've had with Sean McDermott and many of the coaches in Buffalo because of their time in Carolina under Ron Rivera. Um, Can you explain or talk about what Sean McDermott did on Sunday that helped the Bills get the win and sort of are you surprised at all with the success that he's had? You know, not at all with when we're talking about Sean McDermott. Um, you know, he's he is, I think, the real deal. Um, one of the best decisions that he could have possibly made was when at the beginning of this past season, when he actually brought over Eric Washington, the former defensive line coach of the Carolina Panthers, who had coached guys like Julius Peppers, Mario Addison, Kwan Short, um, you know, so many phenomenal players um, from past seasons. Um, He brought him to coach his defensive line up in Buffalo. And so what Eric Washington does in tandem with, with Sean McDermott and what they did so well when they were paired together in Carolina, 
um, and, and, you know, helped get that defense to the Super Bowl, things like that. You know, it, it's, it was lots of really creative and well-designed front seven play. And it was crucial that they got those two linebackers back into the fold because, because they had them sort of manning the middle of the field, they were able to get a lot more creative with their pressure packages, especially along the front line. And what that does is that forces Tyler Higby on the Rams side to come back in and play tight because he's got to help block. So now you're, you're kind of, you've lost one of your big weapons that you can use to sort of, um, you know, kick the defense in the teeth. And you're, you're also countering, you're dealing with all of these different pressures. Well, what they're also able to do is, is really affect the Rams screen game. The Rams are, are, Playing, are throwing more screens than they have at any other year in the past this season. And so the Bills were able to counter those screens really well, again, with their front seven play. And so now you've taken away, by just the way that you're designing your pressure, you've taken away two main factors um, from the Rams' offense. So now what you're left with is you've got to run the football and you're hoping that, that your play action then starts to work, which, as we saw, it did. Um, and a lot of the motions that they use did start to work because, and this is really important, Sean McVay did not go away from running the football. In years past, he would have. Uh, this, this time around, mm-hmm. um, he, he really did not, and it was the smartest decision he made all day on Sunday was to keep feeding Daryl Henderson. Um, but back to Sean McDermott, I mean, I think I, – I know he's the real deal. Um, I know his staff is the real deal. They're finally, you know, calling – things with Brian Dable they're they're calling things that are more attuned to the quarterback that they have as erratic as he can be sometimes um he seems to have ironed out some of the panic that you saw when when he's under pressure you just see him panic sometimes in years past he seems to like somewhat have ironed that out other than when Aaron Donald ate his lunch and then took his (laughs) his lunch money for the week um but I know it was that was great um (laughs) But, you know, I think the Bills are, are a very, very well-built, well-coached team. I think it's one of the best teams, perhaps outside of the Seahawks, that the Rams will face all season. And especially now that you have so many injuries in San Francisco, it's like one of three of the toughest teams that they're going to face all season. So to them, it's like really a sense of pride that you were able to come back and, you know, score 29 unanswered points, have the lead at one point, and then, you know, things fell apart on that final Bills, Bills drive um, in, in a variety of different ways. And so mm-hmm. that's really, that's really your, your ultimate deciding factor is, is what you were able to accomplish through the bulk of the game, not necessarily the, the final seconds. Do you see any, um, and I mentioned a few things before the show, but do you see any improvement opportunities for, for Brandon Staley's defense? Do you see any um, that could come internally with the Rams, whether that was uh, utilizing Leonard Floyd differently, getting Ashawn Robinson back, if that's, if that's something that's actually still expected, uh, getting a certain player to return from health, um, or, you know, just giving Brandon Staley more time? Have there been any tendencies that we've seen through this three first three games that might be indicative um, uh, of things to come in the future? Yeah, great question. So getting Jordan Fuller back on Sunday will, will actually mm-hmm. do a lot. The things that the Rams do in terms of communication in their secondary, um, there's a lot of responsibility on John Johnson and a Jordan Fuller to make sure things are set up 
correctly and make sure people are in their assignments correctly. Um, that's, that's huge. Also, the, the second in, enormous thing that needs to happen and probably the most crucial thing that needs to happen is they just have to tackle better. I mean, they're like approaching 30 missed tackles through three games. It's obscene. Yeah. They, ab- they have to tackle better. If you can, I'm telling you guys, and I've said this all through, all through training camp, like I, I saw some really exciting things being installed at Rams camp from Brandon Staley and, and his new defensive system. Really, mm. really exciting stuff. They don't work if you can't tackle. And they don't work if you're not keeping, keeping the run game contained in front of you, especially in that first and second level where you just see the Rams getting gashed again and again um, by running backs. And you, you just have to tackle. You have to. And so that will set up a lot of different things that they can do um, in terms of, of w- what we could really see this defense do and thrive if, if they can just fundamentally fix their tag tackling problem. Um, Ashawn Robinson, I would expect him to be back a little after midseason. He's technically allowed to practice um, in week six. Mm. And then you have a then you have a 21 day activation window where he can come back and, and play a football game for you. So if they decide to activate him for practice and then he can he can work toward getting back into um, you know contact shape. I think that does a lot to free up Aaron Donald. I think that eats a lot of space in a way that they have some really athletic nose tackles, but they're, they're longer than they are wide. And so you really want a guy who's real wide, who's a, like a, a designated space eater to just sit down in like two or three of those gaps um, with his lateral movement, occupy a couple offensive linemen, make things um, a little bit easier for the guys around him to, to run free. Um, yeah, Vince Lombardi uh, said that football is simply blocking and tackling, and uh, that's pretty much it. He didn't – obviously, he's never seen Patrick Mahomes' sidearm, sidewinder throws, but uh, Vince Lombardi, if he was around, he would say football tackling and uh, blocking and Patrick Mahomes maybe. Uh, but as far as the Rams' next uh, five games here, you know, they're, they dropped to 2-1. and one. They were almost 3-0, but – it feels like they have some improvement opportunities for their win-loss record. The 0-3 Giants are next uh, with out Saquon Barkley and uh, one of the worst offenses in the NFL, one of the worst pass events in the NFL. doesn't look good for New York right now. Um, the football team, which you will be familiar with in terms of Ron Rivera and his staff and, and what he wants to do, um, but so far Dwayne Haskins has been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL and football still has some issues. Um, 49ers have a lot of injuries, although, you know, they beat the Jets, uh, excuse me, the Giants by a lot of points this weekend. Uh, They might get Jimmy Garoppolo. It seems like they'll have Jimmy Garoppolo and some of those players back by then. Uh, So that's definitely a tough game. The Bears are 3-0, but maybe just barely. And then the Miami Dolphins, what would you say is maybe a reasonable expectation of a win-loss record after five games if they're two and one now and these next five upcoming? Yeah, I think there's a very good possibility that they kind of approach that – when they get to that Seahawks game at the end of this stretch, that they could very well be a seven and one football team. I think that is an that it's okay uh, to sort of mm-hmm. postulate and it's definitely feasible – for them. I think what will maybe be the more challenging game 
for them on this on this schedule, this like sort of stretch ahead is is going to be that Chicago game. I don't think that Chicago's three and zero record is real in in terms of like. <laughs> I don't think that they're going to, you know, when it's all said and done, I don't think we're going to have considered them to be a really good football team this year. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do think that that could, could pose a little bit of a challenge, just a couple of different things that they do on defense. Some of those fronts that, that, you know, could possibly give a Sean McVay offense uh, a little bit of trouble, but at the same time, I mean, there's no reason to believe that they can't sweep this next five game stretch. I think that, you know, especially with what we saw, you know, if they would have, if they would have gone, you know, up to Buffalo and just gotten the crap kicked out of them and didn't make a comeback, I'd be like, okay, guys, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. But because, because they were able to come back in the way that they did and not be rattled and really um, get this one out of the way early, I really think that this is like, um, you know, it's kicked the door down time. And you, 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 you kind of feel bad for the Giants <laughs> because yeah. I just think, I just think it's going to be a rough one for them coming into SoFi Stadium uh, to play a really pissed off Rams team. And then you carry that momentum um, through the next couple of weeks. And I think that, uh, yeah, I think seven and one by the time they get to that Seattle game, I think that's very feasible. And while I have you, because I won't talk to you probably before uh, the Washington game and you know that coach so well. Um, and that, that offensive and, you know, the coaching uh, assistance, um, any early thoughts just on um, Ron Rivera's, at least where Ron Rivera may be in his plan with Washington in these first few games, the, the thoughts on how Washington looks? You know, I think they, they obviously are, I, you know, I'm, I'm always going to say they're well coached, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they've got this outstanding defensive front. Uh, and I think, so much experience in the middle there with Thomas Davis and, and like really fearsome potential, especially with that front seven offensively. I don't think they can really get much going. And by the time the Rams defense sort of writes the ship and gets its P's and Q's back in order, I think that that's going to be a really, really tough matchup um, for Washington to have to face a a defense of of this caliber. And, you know, I, I, I just think that, Washington is very much in a rebuilding year. The Rams are not. And so anytime mm-hmm. you, you get a, a team that knows who they are and what they are and what they're capable of, and you go against a, a team that's that young, that has had such a tumultuous offseason, that's missing some key personnel, that doesn't quite know what it wants to do at quarterback, um, that's when you really can um, sort of tee off on somebody. So I think, yeah. I think I, I worry about the pass rush, obviously, but again, there's some things you can, you can do to maybe counter that by the time they come along. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think that's a super winnable game for the Rams. Yeah. We'll see what happens. The Rams tackles have had good seasons uh, up to this point, both in pass blocking also as, as you mentioned with uh, Daryl Henderson off the edges was working well against the Buffalo Bills and, and Sean McVay kept going to that and the Rams, they didn't win, but they have some encouraging things to take out of this week's loss to the Buffalo Bills. Jordan Rodrigue of The Athletic. Um, I know that I got my athletic with, uh, subscription this year uh, and it's been very helpful for me in doing my job and also very uh, informative and, and not good, just good articles uh, from Jordan, but also uh, it's been great to, to hear what the writers are saying for upcoming opponents for the Rams and, and other teams around the league that I'm interested in. Um, there's a lot of great 
information at The Athletic, and they're always giving out deals and, and free trials. Jordan, is there anything uh, that you'd like to plug or, or say to the folks out there uh, in Rams Nation? Well, I am so happy to be here, first and foremost. And Rams Nation, the Ramily, has been so nice to me and so kind and gracious and inviting. And so I, I cannot be happier to be out here. Um, as a heads up, we are still running the dollar per month deal over at The Athletic. And if anybody who knows me knows I love a great discount. So mm -hmm. happy to share that one with you guys and, and very happy to be on with you today. Thank you, Jordan. Very uh, happy to have you on Pod TST. That's it for this week's show. Come back next week uh, for another Pod TST.